0: I'm Martin Shipton, Chief Reporter of Media Wales, and you're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. It's Martin Shipton, and today I'm with Ben Lake, who is the Plaid Cymru Member of Parliament for Ceredigion and the youngest MP uh, from Wales at the moment. Um, Ben uh, got elected in 2017, at the general election, when he defeated the incumbent Liberal Democrat, Mark Williams, by just 102 votes. So, Ben, you're 25 now. You were 24 when you were elected. Tell me a bit about your background. I think you're a Lampeter boy, yes?
1: I am indeed, yes, a Lampeter boy. Um, went to Lampeter Comprehensive, um, fun and better primary before that. I remember uh, fond, fond, fond days uh, at the old uh, Bryn Road site, which unfortunately is, is empty at the moment. Uh, but no, a Lampeter boy through and through can't say that I managed to play uh, football for either the first team um, or rugby for the first team, but um, I was an enthusiastic uh, player, put it that way. Um, not a very effective one, but I was enthusiastic. Yes, yeah, so um, I went to school in Lampeter, then went to college uh, at Oxford. Um, where you studied? Where I studied uh, history and politics for my undergraduate, and then I stayed on. I liked it so much, I stayed on for an extra year to, to undertake my master's, um, and that was in history. But, but funnily enough, although it was a master's in the in the history faculty, I actually ended up looking at the political history of of uh, well modern Wales. So um, there's still a lot of politics involved in the masters. So what was it that got you interested in politics in the first place? Um,
0: you must have had uh, quite an early interest in it. Mm. Did you come from a political family?
1: No, not really. Um, so my, my father was a policeman, and so um, and his father before him. So. In that sense, there wasn't much political kind of talk at all. They they're both uh, policemen of the old school, you know, where you know they don't have political opinions, Um, very very neutral uh, and balanced in that sense. And then um, Mum works for the local authority, so again, not much of a, at least an outwardly political opinion. But having said that, I do remember from quite a young age enjoying reading the Sunday papers, and inevitably then reading about politics of the day and um, although i have to admit there wasn't from an early age much of a partisan loyalty to any party and that continued when i was at university if i'm perfectly honest you know that yes there was a clear interest in politics and the way that um, countries are run but i can't say that i was had any strong affinity to any um, party i think what really made me uh, become aware of my perhaps affinity with plaid Um, was my experiences at Oxford. I remember one friend telling me, uh, who'd been through Oxford, he said, um, uh, there's two things that'll happen to you now that you're you're at Oxford. Either you'll come along and never go back to Wales, or you'll grow to become even more of a a Welsh nationalist. And uh, the latter happened to me, quite frankly.
0: So what was it about the experience at Oxford that uh, turned you in that direction?
1: A combination. On the one hand, understanding... Although it's, it's funny, but you go to Oxford and I was taught a lot more about Welsh history than I did it at school in general, I think. Um, there's still too much of an emphasis, or at least there was an emphasis on, on the curriculum, on, on world events, uh, without any kind of real analysis of what happened in Wales um, and local history. I was fortunate in that my history teacher did try to inject a lot of that local and Welsh history element to the, uh, to the curriculum, but it was quite of a, a bolt on. Um, more than anything, whilst when at when Oxford, then you had the chance to really get into the, not just you know the, the medieval history of, of Wales. Obviously, it's exciting, isn't it? You know, stories of princes and plots and all that. But then also early modern, going into you know the nineteenth century, Victor- late Victorian era, and the movements of Camryvith, uh, David L. George, uh, Tom Ellis, and those boys. That's really when you got to understand. Well, hang on, you know, isn't it quite striking that? Catherine the Great of Russia sent educa- some of her education advisors to Wales to see how we ran our circular schools and what have you as a model to replicate in her reforming uh, of, uh, of Russian education. And then we looked to ourselves, or well, at least a couple of years ago, a situation where actually Welsh education is considered to be the bottom of the pile, or at least in European standards, um, at the bottom of the pile. So there was this kind of Questioning then, inevitably, of well, what's happened? Why aren't we still at the, uh, at the forefront of, of education? And that, I think, naturally led to, OK, which party then is really trying to, to address this? You know, who has at their very core a desire to not just you know, some, out of some sort of romantic ideal you kind know, of heart back to the past, because that's impossible, you can't do that, but in terms of matching um, some of the successes of the past, you know, in, in wanting better for Wales. And um, just for me, and, and perhaps also coming from um, West Wales, Plaid's DNA is perhaps uh, embedded with a desire to keep uh, rural communities as vibrant as possible. Um, those two so two factors combined to just make me think, well, actually, no, I am, I am Plaid. Um, so how old would you have been at that stage? If I'm completely honest, I was probably about 21. Um, before then, um, I was so sort of very recent. Um, so it's not long ago, you're only no. 25 now. Yeah, not very, no. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you went to work uh, at the National Assembly, who are you working for now? So, well, the first day I went back and after graduating for my master's, did a bit of odds and ends here and there, uh, even dabbled with a bit of uh, broadcast, uh, um, broadcasting and journalism, uh, although it wasn't very good. So um, that came to a very abrupt end. Where was that then? So I, did, I helped out a little bit of research for some BBC radio programmes, participated a few times on, um, on politics, kind of coverage on the 2015 election for um, tower Post, which I thoroughly enjoyed, but I wasn't very good at it. So um, uh, nothing came of it. Um, and then when at home... Um, I started to do a little bit of work with in Ellen Jones' office in Aberystwyth, mainly as a casework um and some research. But then um, an opening came up with Lear Griffith, um, a part-time uh, position, uh, looking mainly at rural affairs and um, rural development policy. And with a real interest <laughs> in that field, I, I went for it. And then um, it was kind of I was fortunate enough to, to get the position, and that was led up to the 2016. Assembly elections, and after the elections, there was a, a permanent role or a full-time role, sorry, that uh, with the with Applied Group as a researcher, and um, I was fortunate enough to, to get that job, and uh, the, that's really where, where I was when uh, the election was called. So, what were you specialising in in terms of
0: research at the time when you? At were the employed? time, yeah.
1: So uh, there was a rural development. Um, education and then as at the time we had the uh, landfill disposals tax and um, land transaction tax uh, going through um, the legislative process and so those were two bills that I was working on uh, from the apply point of view at the time with Stefan Lewis and, and Simon Thomas. Um, so those were the, the main um, areas in which I focused on but um, as is always the case, you know, it's, with a small party, you must have a broad enough knowledge of a bit of everything um, in order to get by. Because the uh, capacity for smaller parties um, is 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 quite tough for us to be able to speak on every issue if we are only going to be employing specialists. So, um, as one of my old uh, politics tutors in college used to say, um, perhaps I'm a Jack trades, master of none. Um, and he said that. I, I I truly believe he said that. Um, as a compliment, although, uh, well, you could argue the other way.
0: So the 2017 general election came along, and that was actually quite unexpected, wasn't it? Um, And uh, Theresa May had always said, or for a long time had said, that she was not going to go for uh, a general election, and she didn't need to, and then suddenly things changed. At what stage were you contemplating going for the
1: nomination in Geredigion? It was the Sunday. I, I, I might be wrong here. I can't remember whether the hustings for the party nomination was on a Tuesday or a Thursday. Um, I, th- I think it was on a Tuesday, and if so, it was on the Sunday before that, that I decided, right, no, I'm going for it. So this was immediately before the general election, was it? About five weeks before the general election. So a, th- a week and a half after the announcement. And the weekend after Parliament did actually vote through to repeal, or not to repeal the fixed terms Parliament Act, sorry, but to vote for an early election. Because before then, you know, if I were to be completely honest, it wasn't on the the agenda, (laughs) as it were. You know, we sometimes hear people say that they have these plans and they, you know, they plan five, ten years ahead. It wasn't a case um, uh, with me. Uh, The what made you go for it then? It was again combination of factors. One was, well, if I was ever going to put myself forward for elected office, it would be for Keradigion. There was no doubt about that. It's my home county, it's Ceredigion or nowhere. And obviously Ceredigion was, for applied anyway, there wasn't a candidate at the time. And in the back of my mind, perhaps I was thinking, well, if I don't put my name for it now, by the next time, there won't be a chance for, for for be to being plied candidate in Catalonia, and in a way, you know, no better time than the present, as it were. So that was playing on my mind, um, but also, I was finding myself getting quite annoyed that I was only kind of complaining and you know moaning behind the scenes, um, and thought to myself, well, like you know, if you truly believe in what you're saying, and, and you feel strongly enough, well, pull your socks up and get in the ring. And um, it was on that Sunday afternoon where I thought, well, you know, it's all well and good, me kind of you know, complaining to friends and family that this should happen and this should happen in a different way, and this is, you know, it's awful that the government's doing this, that, the other, if they're not being prepared to actually get on to the stage and, and, and fight for it. So um, that's what tipped me to put myself forward for the ply nomination, And I was very fortunate then that the the party locally um, saw fit to to give me the chance because I was aware, you know, I I come in a very, very proud lineage of of applied candidates uh, at Parliament. You know, Um, just thinking about Kenneth Davis and and Simon Thomas, uh, but also Penry and and Mike Parker. Um, You know, these are, in my lifetime, Giants um, of of like Cymry. and so it was, you know, quite humbling for the party then to put some faith in me because, you know, I hadn't stood for any other elected office. Um, as far as most people are concerned, you know, they, they knew me perhaps, they knew my family, but I hadn't been tested on on the on the political stage. So um, very very grateful, and very lucky that they, you know, wanted to give you know the young one from Ampeter a chance because uh, many parties wouldn't have, you know.
0: And, of course, from a political point of view, Kerry is a very interesting seat, isn't it? Because um, for many years it was a Lib Dem uh, seat, or a Liberal seat, mm-hmm. and then a Lib Dem seat until 1992 when Cunard Davies won it for Plaid. Uh, and, of course, the previous uh, general election he'd come fourth, so that was a remarkable <laughs> leap forward. And then he held it for eight years, and, of course, in the first term of the Assembly... He won a seat on the Assembly as a regional member for Mid and West Wales. And he didn't like being a member of two institutions. So there was a by-election called. Simon Thomas was elected. You know that I was a candidate in that by-election. Yes. Uh, yes. I was a candidate in that by-election when I How was standing... No. no, no. It Technically, it was um, uh, Wales on Sunday, Match Funding Now. And this was a campaign that we were involved with at the time... Uh, at Wales on Sunday, where, of course, I was working as a, as a journalist, as the chief reporter. And uh, we were unhappy about the fact that the the Welsh Government uh, of the time was not sufficiently pressing the uh, UK Government to provide match funding for the European funds that were coming. So we thought this was an opportunity, a bit of a gimmick, maybe, but nevertheless we uh, took it very seriously. Um, I think I'm probably the only candidate in uh, living memory who actually advised uh, electors not to vote for him, but 55 (laughs) of them did. But anyway, um, that was my little footnote in history. But Simon Thomas uh, got elected, and then he lost the seat in 2005, quite narrowly at that time, to Mm. Mark Williams of the Liberal Democrats. And so he was then off the scene. And then subsequently Mark Williams built up a big following and uh, got a sizable majority and the majority was cut back in 2015 by Mike Parker but that was of course a very controversial election because mm. there was what many people might describe as a smear campaign against him as a consequence of something that he'd written about um, English uh, incomers a uh, certain type of English incomer mm. who would come to again. but he was, people argue, smeared uh, by suggesting that all these people were neo-Nazis which was perhaps unfortunate and uh, not entirely accurate so at that time uh, and he had actually cut back the majority but it was still a fairly sizable majority what was about 4,000
1: votes was it something like that I think 3,600 something like that
0: so it was still a bit of a a majority for the Lib Dems when you were tackling the campaign Mm. what were your priorities in terms of taking on the Lib Dems with a view to winning. Did you think at the time that you were selected that you had a good chance of winning?
1: No. (laughs) No. Um, It was, I think, accepted by everybody that it was an exceptional um, election, that we weren't prepared for it um, either on... And I think this is fair to say, um, on a national or a local level, uh, the party wasn't. I know I've I've, mentioned earlier, and I don't want it to sound as as an excuse or anything, but we are a small party. And, and elections are a very costly thing to run. Um, we just simply don't have the resources, or the, or the, well, or the members really, or the membership, to be able to conduct so many elections in what, was it two, three years really. With two general elections and an assembly election, and we found ourselves in Keradigun, which I suppose, even at Westminster, was still. Uh, at least perhaps for, for applied members in Ceredigion, still considered as a, as a possible target seat, even if it wasn't perhaps at the time on a national level considered as such. Um, we thought we might have a chance, but we hadn't selected a candidate. Nobody had had time to, to really build up a profile locally because it is important to have that profile, uh, particularly in Ceredigion. And so when we started the campaign, it was very much of, right, we need to... We were discussing actually trying to get certain percentages of the vote you know, coming second... And then trying to to at least either see the majority reduced or at least our vote going up, so that it was then prime for the next round whenever that next election came along. So it was always that kind of a, a approach that we adopted. And if I, you know, again, if I have to be quite frank, um, we went a little bit under the radar um, in or At least the campaign did. We weren't as far as I believe ever kind of touted as a as a a target seat for Plyde. perhaps at the very end perhaps at the very end perhaps actually but not at the beginning and um, we stayed away from it you know most of the media attention we just kind of worked on the ground we did a lot of uh, of campaigning trying to campaign in different ways so um, I was very keen to engage with young people and get them enthused and I know this sounds silly, but even if not necessarily voting for me, at least getting them involved in, in, in politics, because I do believe that even in, in rural areas, or perhaps especially in rural areas where we do have far too many of our young people having to leave, and there should always be a choice, everybody should have a choice, all to offer in rural areas conditions are such that people are forced to leave for, for work or careers. Um, so I was very keen to get them on board, and I was you know, very lucky that they did. You know, we had a, a wonderful uh, event where we did a bit of a tour, um, starting in Aberystwyth, going along the coast, finishing up in, uh, in, in the Vale, I think it was, <laughs> in, the, in, in the Vale next to Veninvach. And um, at the end of the day, that brought about its own little energy. And so as, as the campaign went on, we saw that for different canvassing sessions and, and campaigning sessions, we had more and more people um, coming to join us. Um, we, you know, we tried to do a lot more with when it came to, to videos and, and media content, as it were. And I'd like to say we had a lot of fun. We really did. It was a chance to, to get a better awareness of what people were really concerned about. Because um, I think what surprised a lot at the time was that Brexit wasn't being discussed as often as you'd thought on, on the doorstep. It, it surprised me. It really did. It was far more about domestic policy or domestic politics than um, That was always the, the priority for people when you were knocking on the doors, you know. Um, state of public s- services in general and the funding of them. Um, there was a lot of, and we're seeing the discussion now coming back to a more prominent position when it comes to taxation and the nature of taxation, you know, what is fundamentally the agreement between citizen and state. And these were things that were being brought up on the doorstep. And then with a particular Ceredigion focus of, well, and I remember somebody putting it quite nicely, you know, we pay into the pot, yet we don't seem to be getting as much or a fair deal as other parts of, of the country. And um, I think that resonates on when both Assembly Elections and Westminster Elections when it comes to, to the role of whether uh, Welsh or UK government institutions in promoting rural economy. So those were quickly then our focus for the, for the campaign, and on those issues then we, we did... Uh, campaign quite heavily towards the end on uh, but it's still it was a real shock.
0: Because the thing is uh, Kerry Diggin is one of those seats where people have proved that they're prepared to vote differentially so while Ellen Jones has held the Assembly seat since the outset Mark Williams as quite an assiduous um, constituency mm. MP as you would acknowledge I'm sure yeah. have managed to build up a personal following so there must have been quite a lot of people who would be prepared to vote for Ellen as the Assembly Member and for Mark as the MP yeah. so what do you think it was that gave you the edge in
1: 2017? Well first I, I agree with you Mark, that not only had, had, um, had Mark you know, served the constituency well twelve years i mean for twelve years he was my MP and um, did I say it you know man, not many complaints <laughs> and karig also do tend to to vote for the person not the politics or the political party I think the election last year was truly exceptional insofar as people found themselves due to events in London more than anything and and the nature the fundamental nature of right what will be the uk's relationship with europe and then People had started to think, well, what will be Wales's relationship with the UK in a post-Brexit setting? Started to reevaluate evaluate their, their opinions, I think, on, on a, a host of things. And, and I have no doubt that—I know I'm pretty sure, actually—that many people who had previously voted for Plaid had gone elsewhere, and people who had perhaps voted Liberal Democrat, even Labour, and even perhaps Conservative actually had had come over to us this time. It was a, a lot of churn going on. And I don't think we will ever really know exactly what went, you know, for specific reasons. Other than it was a critical juncture, and people were re-evaluating their opinions and their positions. And given perhaps that we had quite a strong ground campaign, um, there wasn't many. You know, we weren't able to uh, to get as much perhaps coverage in in, in uh, Wales-wide, or not, let alone UK media. But we were going to a lot of villages, towns, farmsteads, um, having discussions with them. And um, well, some might argue that I speak too too much and I go on, I ramble on a little bit. Um, somebody, a, somebody did tell me, a senior politician who came to help me actually uh, for a day said that um, that was good. That was good. I think you might have some support there. But it took about 10 minutes too long to get it. <laughs> and, um, but th- that did contribute to the, to the, to the result as well, and we have to be honest, the way in which the, the elec- election was defined as a Conservative versus Labour. Did I say it? Very presidentialised. Um, for a British election, it was very presidentialised between who do you want, May or Corbyn. And um, that really was apparent about a fortnight in to the campaign when the Conservatives unveiled their plans for social care. Previously, you were quite consistently getting this idea of, well, I've been plied in the past and I've always been plied, but this time we've got to back Theresa May over Corbyn. I think twice it happened the other way around, but consistently it was got a back May to stop Corbyn. And then after that announcement and, you know, the hoo-ha that ensued, you then ha- had people thinking, oh, I really regret my postal vote now. Or, um, well, I was going to, but now I'm thinking again. So there, that had disjointed people, and they were in flux. And I think in a state of flux, you know, and the cards are in the air, who knows how they fall down. And, and we were just lucky then that we had that ground campaign that, so that we were on the doorstep um, having discussions with them, you know, trying to, to show them that, well, actually, maybe it's time for you to give us a chance. Um, of course, we can't overstate the fact that it was a, a narrow victory. Um, it was, if not a four-way, certainly a three-way Split, you know. I think um, because Labour did quite well, didn't they? Yeah, Labour did very well. Correct. I might might be incorrect on the specifics, but I think they they saw about a ten percent increase in the vote. Something like that. I think that's right. You know, very, very significant. And from what we could see from uh, from the election night, there wasn't a a distinct pattern of where these votes were coming from. You know, I I said earlier, it was a churn. It was was, it's a free for all. You know, Uh, which again makes me believe that given the exceptional circumstances of last year's election, I don't think we'll see quite as much excitement uh, next time round, whenever that comes along. Because I think
0: there was also perhaps another factor where the Liberal Democrats shot themselves in the foot a bit, didn't they, with letters that were going out to people asserting that Plaid Cymru was somehow in favour of a hard Brexit, which didn't really ring true.
1: Yeah, I think... It, it was unfortunate, and I think that a lot of prominent members of the Liberal Democrats in Wales would probably agree that it, it didn't help. It did, at a time when people were reconsidering you know, what they wanted in politicians and political parties, it didn't help perception of, well, hang on, this is a bit of a dirty trick. And for the fact of the matter, you know, it was quite a, an unrealistic one uh, at that. So it was not just inaccurate, but quite unrealistic and unbelievable. So um, I, I don't think it helped. Although what I was surprised with, you know, the postal vote in Ceredigion is quite substantial. And a lot of those had been returned before this had happened. So I, I, I agree with you. It's certainly a factor and a tipping point for the day. But for that, you know, I think there are registered about 8,000, 9,000 um, postal voters in Ceredigion. Most of them had been persuaded one way or the other by the presidentialized kind of nature of, of things. And who knows? I, I whether we'll see a return of that in the next election or not. But it, it certainly had an effect in Cerdigion. Although, one thing again about Cerdigion being quite a unique place, and, and it's not, well, I, I'm sure people would think, well, he's obviously going to say that as a Cardi. But um, I think it was a Liston Morgan when he was elected. The first time, I think, he said something after uh, the count, uh, after the result was, had been declared, that he, he wasn't so much surprised that he'd won the seat for Labour that Ceredigion had voted for once along with the uh, national swing. Because I think Wilson had got, you know, swept into office and for once Ceredigion followed <laughs> the rest of the country because at every other election we tend to back the trend. Um, and so what might be um, the rule for, for the UK or even Wales is not so. It doesn't have the same written in Ceredigion.
0: So the morning after the night before, you went into the election thinking that you'd got no realistic chance of winning. Uh, as things turned out, you did win very very narrowly. How did you feel then? I mean, obviously you must have felt elation at having won the election, but did you find it daunting that at such a young age you were going to have this responsibility of representing that constituency? Yeah,
1: it was daunting. The initial reaction, whether it was because of sleep deprivation or, or just uh, some sort of elation, it was quite numb. Um, I remember standing up on the, on the stage and... Uh, Really, not feeling anything. Um, quite odd, uh, a weird sense of calm. And then um, off the stage and some media interviews. And it was only after I got home that afternoon, uh, 12 o'clock, uh, trying to go to bed to sleep, and I found myself unable to fall asleep. Even though I was exhausted, I was unable to sleep. And that's when you know I realized I'm don't did here. And this is don't ding. Um, the weight. And I know this is a cliche. But the weight of the responsibility, I was really, really feeling that at that time. And I and um, I thought to myself, goodness, this is this is real, you know. <laughs> and um, when trying to fall asleep, I remember uh, the, my mobile phone started to ring. And um, the call of display came up as um, Houses of Parliament. Obviously, I hadn't put that number in, so it, I'm really not sure how that happened. Anyway, but Houses of Parliament, and um, asking me, right, um, Mr Lake, congratulations, when are you coming? And I, uh, I remember taking a, a bit of a, of a breath. I think, well, hang on, I'm, I'm about six, seven hours since the the declaration, and here they are um, demanding that I come along down to London. I managed to persuade them that uh, I could wait until Monday uh, before coming along. But and actually, for months afterwards, I can't say that I was I could sleep very easily because you know I I was very very aware that. People had placed a great deal of faith and entrusted you know, an incredible responsibility um, in me, that I had to repay them, and I was very eager to do so and very conscious that I wasn't uh, able to repay them as much as I wanted to straight so away, and so um, that kind of tension in my own mind meant that I had many sleepless nights for the first few months, and uh, and at times even now, you know, when certain issues arise, and you realise even as a Member of Parliament. Unfortunately, there is no magic wand um, and you can't fix everything as you would like. The thing is as well, isn't it, that
0: the Houses of Parliament themselves have got this um, historic aura and many people have spoken and written about how they have been overwhelmed by the institution and there is a temptation, if you like, just to allow yourself to be taken away by the institution and um, and actually forget what you're there for. Mm. Because what you're, what you're there for is to represent the people who've elected you and to make an intelligent contribution to uh, national debates. So at the outset when you became the MP, what did you
1: decide your approach to the job was going to be? It was with a mind of I'm here to work and not to enjoy myself. That was the first kind of line. Um, because I agree with you that the way that this institution, even more than the Assembly actually, is, um, is structured and the way it's run, it would be all too easy for you to, to be swept up in this kind of self imposed, well, sense of importance. And, um, and it, I know there is talk in Wales of, of a Cardiff Bay bubble, well, it's certainly true of the Westminster. Um, palace and the estate. It's a very much a bubble here. And and it would all be too easily um, for any new member to to fall into that trap. So my first thing was, well, I'm here to work. This is a job. And it's it's not, you know, you can, for example, the the, the House of Commons terrace, particularly on a day like today when the sun is shining and the River Thames is looking a little less polluted than usual, perhaps. You you could enjoy yourself there, but that's not why you're here. You're here to raise issues, represent lobby ministers um, for the betterment of your constituents and your community. So that was at the outset. But then when it came to right, how am I going to deal with different politicians and other parties and on any particular issue, I thought, well, I'm going to respect everybody here insofar as they are all kind of here to improve things for their own constituencies. And in that, I'm the same. We will disagree undoubtedly, as all humans do, it's, it's natural. Um, we're complicated beings, after all, to disagree on different issues. We won't be able to agree on everything, but there will be some issues in which we can agree, and those are the issues I want to push forward, because it is tempting at times, and I'll admit I've, I've been tempted now and again to be in the Commons and, and to you know, to join in on the on the jeering or the taunts. But I'm trying to you know restrict myself because it doesn't help. You don't gain anything from it. But if you can set aside some differences and Progress some issues that are important to your constituency. That's worth doing. So, for example, rural MPs from England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Wales at the moment have found, through, whether it's through um, you know impromptu gatherings and meetings and inquiries, even or formalised structures within the committees, we're finding a bit of a not a caucus. That's perhaps getting ahead of ourselves, but finding ourselves coordinating our questioning. Our, we're even bringing in you know, executives from banks and, and uh, mobile phone operators, broadband, pulling their feet to the fire on some of their um, promises to rural areas. Now, that will mean that I'm sitting on a panel where you have some Conservatives, some Labour Party, Liberal Democrats, the SNP, even DUP members. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong in pushing that on those issues if it means that the people of Curdegon are better off for it it is often too tempting and it's something that I just can't do I'm just not built for it um, you know, the, the witty one-liners you know, say something about my intelligence probably but um, I just can't do it I can't bring myself to do it I, I, I need two or three sentences at least as so you're probably uh, witnessing now I, I ramble on but it, and for me it's just it's this idea that it doesn't help you know, Prime's questions question today now um, let's be honest, nothing is gained from it Can we really say that the Prime Minister is held to account? No. Can we say that the opposition parties are able to really push their views and and opinions and ideas? No, not really. Um, It's an exchange of political soundbites um, that do no more to further the cause of respective constituencies than, I don't know, 20 seconds or a few tweets on Twitter. And and that is something that is to the detriment of, of everybody. And whilst I think debate and passion is good, we also need to think about right, well, hang on, how do we really progress these things? And for my very brief time here, sometimes you can get more done for constituents by cornering a minister whilst he or she is trying to eat their lunch than you know an amazing, witty, you know, fantastically funny one liner premises questions. You know. But then again, I'm I'm new and perhaps unjustifiably cynical of the whole thing. Now, as you mentioned, uh,
0: Plaid is a small party. Uh, you've got four MPs at the moment, which is the most that Plaid has ever had. Yeah. And just looking at a list here of the areas of responsibility that you have in terms of uh, policy areas, you're know, the spokesperson for the environment, food, rural affairs, education, skills, health communities, local government, culture, media, sport, and constitutional affairs. How on earth do you keep on top of all those? Yeah.
1: With great difficulty. Lysaville Roberts often says and puts it quite uh, eloquently, I think, we are expected as, as Plaid Cymru to, to speak almost on, it, well, on every issue that's brought before Parliament. And that means then, practically speaking, we divide the universe into four. <laughs> and uh, there are issues where, or debates where you find yourself quite jealously looking over to the other parties where you know their spokespeople may only be speaking on this matter for the next month. You know, that's the only thing they're doing. Sorry, speaking in the chamber. That's unfair. They do other things. Um, but they might only be covering the defences Weapons Bill. I'm covering that for, for plight. It is one of the disadvantages of being such a small party in that you can't really fulfil um, the same kind of job as the major parties uh, are able to do. Not because of a lack of willingness or effort, it's just you are physically unable to do so. Far too often you'll have debates in Westminster Hall and the Chamber at the same time. And the way that this place works is that you can't simply come in, speak, do your you know, deliver your speech and then leave before the debate is over. You just can't do that. It's they, they still run with a convention um that if you want to speak and participate in a debate, you need to be there for the for its entirety so if a debate runs for four hours, that's you done for four hours and if then there's a Westminster hold debate bit for an hour and a half or even two hours, the same applies there so you're you're tied there for two to hours so you could quite quite easily lose two members of Parliament just in two debates and for most of the afternoon and then the others then might be on committees you know so um so Herwell is on the Brexit Committee at the moment, and that is a hell of a lot of work. Um, they, they meet regularly and for long sessions. Liz and I are both on the Welsh Affairs Select Committee, and um, although I thoroughly enjoy it, it does mean that on a Tuesday afternoon I know that if something comes up in my portfolio, I need to agree with Jonathan or agree with Liz or, or Herwell that we substitute and we mix and match. Otherwise, Plaid's positions won't be um, aired and discussed. So um, it is very difficult, and um, we, I think we do a pretty good job considering there's only four of us. Um, it's, as I say, challenging, um, and, and I think we managed to do it just about. But um, if you were to ask me whether I'd, I'd want another 36 MPs to help out and share the load, I'd bite your hand off it.
0: Now um, we don't know when the next general election is going to be. Um, everything is up in the air because of Brexit really. But are you prepared for the next election, and how do you think you should fight the next campaign?
1: Yes, I, I think um, we are ready in Carradine or as ready as we could ever be, because you're right. You know, the, the next election could come at any at any point. You know, there's no there's not much. There's, we can't really try to put a date on it because um, I don't think many people would have thought the last year's election would have been called when it was called, and so um, whilst I think it is unlikely to happen now much before Christmas, it's still possible. And under, those, under that understanding, we've approached it in Keradigion. So you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to, to do as much as I can uh, as MP. and Because I am, uh, from the, you know, the dictum of, right, I'm here to, to work and not to enjoy myself. And also, I'm going to give 110% for as long as I can. And when I can no longer do that, I'll stand down. You know, because at the end of the day, not just the people of Keradigion but especially the people of Keradigion on deserve uh, a member of parliament who is able to give them that little bit of extra. So um, we're ready and doing as much as we can, both in terms of constituency casework, but also matters raised uh, in, in Westminster. And and it's the nature of you know, d- uh, democracy that if it's not good enough, you know, you know, the people will tell you, and, and you'll uh, be asked uh, you know, thanks but no thanks, and that's how it should be. And I'm quite happy at the moment that if there was say an election next week, i'm happy enough to stand on on my record so far and and if it, it doesn't happen to be good enough, well, there we are you know it's an immense privilege to have been elected in the first place and to have had the experience of of trying to fight for Kennedy Gion. so I'd be very grateful and uh, and I'll go on my way but um in terms of uh, I, I suppose applied more generally again you know it's in terms of i think morale and and energy um, I think having fought three uh, campaigns in the space of three years then, but two and a half really. I think we'd be naive to say that we're not a little bit fatigued. The resources are um, (laughs) somewhat depleted. And so the longer uh, that we can have before another election, the better. Because again, something I I don't think many people would realise is that when um, you consider the resources to hand to some of the, the major parties, we are real minnows. When perhaps conservative and, and Labour parties look at um, their income streams just from elected members you know, and the hundreds of thousands but then also donations running into the millions we can never dream of that level or at least not at the moment uh, financial um, or material su- support. So I think in that sense you know, the longer it goes the better for the party um, just to have a, a bit of a breather. <laughs> Because you're likely to have a rematch
0: with Mark Williams, I think, because I see from social media that he's still yeah. pretty active in the constituency yeah. he turns up at uh, um, quite a lot of events there, doesn't he? Um, yeah. So you're ready for that. You're ready for the hustings.
1: Yeah, it is, yeah. And I think it's, it's right because what is clear that Mark still wants to you know, represent, he still cares passionately about Kerdigion. And it's, I think, unrealistic to believe that he can just switch that off in fairness. you know, um, And so... I think it's quite possible and probable um, if that next election comes along that Mark might be the Liberal candidate, the Liberal Democrat candidate. Sorry, um, I'd be quite happy because I get on with uh, Mark quite well. Although the the Liberal Democrat-Plaid Cymru rivalry is quite famous or infamous, uh, particularly when it comes to on. we always got on and still do. Um, I think actually Mark was the one of the first people I bumped into when I came here first <laughs> on that Monday. And I'll never forget, you know, that how kind he was in, in telling me, just actually give me some directions and, you know, just think things are all right, right, you know, don't worry, you'll be fine. Um, and that says a lot about the man as well, in fitness, from my opinion. I, you know, again, it's it's up to the people. And um, so long as I... I'm happier now than I was perhaps this time last year, where I think there was a lot of talk about another election within a couple of months. Because at that time, I thought, well, oh, I'm not even going to have a chance to, you know... I just thought so, all right, I'll a kicked out after a month or two months never having any chance to help any constituents with casework or even raise any issues. So now that we're starting to have that time and the more I do get to, to, to raise issues, I, the better I feel in the sense of, well, if I do, if I am booted out to the next election, well, I've had a chance to, to raise a few things and try to push a few uh, ideas. But um, at the end of the day, it, it'll be what it'll be.
0: Ben Lake, thank you very much indeed. Yeah. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. We'll be back for more next week.